Go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending your son. I thank you that he paid the price and that we can be redeemed. Lord, in this Christmas season, let us not forget that you came, but also not to forget that you died, to hold on to that, and to look forward to your next return, and to continue to give you glory, and to understand that you are the way and the truth and the life. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we can hold on to you. Lord, I lift up those going downstairs and I pray for their leaders and I just ask that you will bless them, that you will just allow them to have a desire and a passion for you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The kids can be dismissed. So it's week four in our truth series, and I have to be honest with you, I wasn't sure how we were going to speak this many weeks on truth alone, but as I started looking at the text in John, I couldn't help but just be ingrained in it and how God's Word continually speaks truth in so many ways to us. And this week is John 14.6, and I think this should be a verse that we have memorized. It should be a verse that, that means so much to us especially our relationship with Jesus. This is this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we're going to study what this means to be the way and how it relates to the truth and life. And then we're going to dive into this last statement. No one comes to the Father except through me. But before we can do any of this, we have to get some context. So let's look at John 14, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? This first statement, let not your heart be troubled. Why would they be troubled? Well, let's go back to chapter 13. We see the Lord's Supper. And Jesus has just got done. He's, he's washed their feet. He's serving them. He's giving them information on how they should live life as followers of Jesus. But then He lays out some truth bombs one, he tells them that the, one of them is going to betray him. And the other is he starts telling them that he's going to, to leave them. John 13, 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his hill against me. Now right here, Jesus is telling them what is going to happen. He's prophesying it so that when it does happen, they will believe him. Now, if I told you that Bob York would win the lottery, you might not think anything of it. But if the next day Bob York wins the lottery, that would bring a lot of credibility to my ability to predict the future. Now, Jesus doesn't need credibility. I mean, if you saw somebody raised from the dead, you're probably going to believe that. 
But Jesus is continually going above and beyond. He's prophesying something that's going to come true. He's leaving no doubt in our minds. And then Jesus, He's predicting that one of them is going to betray Him. But they don't know which one. In fact, they don't even think of anything when when Judas gets up and leaves. The reason is you trust the person that has the money bag. We see in John 13, 21, After seeing these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray Me. Jesus makes this statement truly, truly 25 times in the book of John. Three times in chapter 13 alone. And the words truly, truly are here are amen, amen. We're accustomed to it at the end of our prayers. It means so be it. So we don't have to say in your will, God, at the end of our prayers. When we say amen, that's exactly what we're saying. However, Jesus uses it to start a sentence. And when we use it this way, or when Jesus uses it this way, the word amen has a different implication. You see, leading off with the word amen not only implies that what is to follow is true, but that what is saying it, the person that is saying it has authority. It comes from Him. Now when I'm up here, I might say listen. Or what I'm about to say is super important, but I'm still only speaking from the authority given to me from Jesus. Jesus is speaking. He's saying truly, truly, this is my authority. What I'm telling you is the absolute truth. And then what he says speaks glorification to the Father. And he says it's through the Son, through himself. Jesus is saying this. Imagine, this might have been confusing for the apostles. I think this would be a confusing on that side of the cross. But maybe not as confusing as what he says next. John 13, 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Imagine being a disciple. I mean, you dropped everything to be with Jesus, and now Jesus is saying, you cannot come with me? Of course their hearts were troubled. And then a little side note, Peter, he chimes in, like Peter always chimes in. He's like, I will die for you, God. And, God's, and Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to deny me to a little girl tonight. Think about this. I mean, I really think this is what makes Christianity different. The leader of the Christian faith is talking about being denied or talking and denying Christ to a little girl. Do you say that if it isn't true? And you can contrast this with the founder of the Mormon church, Joseph Smith. He wrote a translation and he adds Genesis 50.33 where he says this, I will remember you from generation to generation and his name shall be called Joseph. That's the leader of a faith that is not true when they start to add themselves to make themselves look better. But that's not what we see throughout the Bible. We see continually the leaders, they're constantly talking about their their struggles, the things that they did wrong. They're talking about it so they can give glory to God because they're saying the truth. And that truth is so important. I want a church that has discernment. It's why we're going to look at different religions today. It should not be enough for me to just say that Jesus is the way. You have to discover it yourself. The disciples did. 
Imagine how shocking it would be when Jesus said, you cannot come with me. I mean, they went everywhere with Jesus. I mean, our hearts would be troubled, and theirs were also. So look forward. Let's look at John 14, 2. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You see, we have a grasp of what Jesus is saying here. We relate it to heaven. But imagine being the disciples. They're hearing this. What? I mean, many rooms? Where, where are you going, Jesus? And then he says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may also be. Come again? I mean, what are you talking about, Jesus? You are already here. Why do you have to come back? And then he says in verse 4, And you know the way to where I'm going. I mean, imagine hearing this and the disciples, they're so confused. You know the way to where I'm going? The way. What is this, this way? And that's where we're going to spend a lot of time learning about the way, the truth in this statement. You see, this way didn't start here. Throughout the Old Testament, there are countless scriptures directing us toward this way or the, the path of God. Psalm 16.11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, this is just one place. It's throughout the Psalms, the Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and even we see Jesus in Micah 4, 2. He says this, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. And for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What you're seeing right here is the way has a name. The way it takes shape. It's no longer figurative or pointing toward this, this shadow, but it has substance, and that substance is Jesus. You see, when Jesus says the way, He is speaking about Himself. He is the way. And this should have taken the disciples back to the Old Testament over and over again. This road or the path, the way, the word is direct in the Hebrew. The way is a relationship with Jesus. Now the disciples, and especially Thomas, don't get it. The rest just weren't willing to speak up. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus, he makes one of the most important statements in all the Bible. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what does this statement, I am the way, mean? Well, we have to spend a little bit of time on the I am part of this. I believe it's just as important, if not more important, than the way. The word is ego and me in the Greek. It would be the word haya in the Hebrew. Now, you don't have to do the little chop thing, but it helps me remember it. And we see that all the way back in Exodus 3, starting at verse 13. This is what it says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is His name? What shall I say to them? And then God replies with the words, Hayah esher hayah. Now he's not doing karate, right? But I'm telling you, it really helps me. I remembered this word from the time I learned it in Hebrew class. But what it really means is I be that I be. God is the one who is and will be forever. 
God's existence does not depend on anything or anyone. Now, it would sound weird if Moses said, I be has sent me. So God tells him in Exodus 3.15, He says this, The Lord, or, or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Basically, Yahweh is the third person for I be or I am. So what he's telling Moses is to say, He is sent me. And what's important here is that Jesus is claiming that He is. He's saying that I am the way. Jesus is claiming to be God. And here's the kicker. You see, God is perfect in all ways and He will not share His glory. In fact, He cannot. And I'm not talking about little glory. I'm talking about big boy glory that only God gets. And if Jesus is claiming to be the way, then He is claiming the glory. And therefore, Jesus must be God. And when Jesus is glorified, then the Father is glorified. And when the Father is glorified, then Jesus is glorified. This statement... This statement is so important and it resonated with the disciples. Listen to what Luke writes in Acts 9, verses 1 through 2. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he found any belonging to the way. Do you see that? It's capitalized. The way. It's this movement, right? It's, it's this movement for Jesus Christ. That's what it was called. The word is hodos in the, in, the, in the Greek. That little apostrophe thing that you see above it makes it a, a ho instead of an o. And what I love is what it means. It means a way, a road, or a journey. I really like that. A, a journey. Jesus is saying, I am the journey. Jesus is the destination, but He's also the journey to get there. And it doesn't stop there. Jesus is also the gate to the path, to the journey that we go on. You see, the gospel is not just justification, but it is sanctification and glorification. You see, the purpose of using Greek words is to draw us closer to the way, which is Jesus. We all know the story of how Saul becomes Paul on the way. This journey to Damascus. And God, He changes Paul's way, but not necessarily the physical road that he's on. See, God doesn't always change the physical road that we are on. There's a, boy, a man by the name of Thomas Walsh, and we all know him. He's been in this church for a long time when he was a kid. And when he came to Christ, he didn't change being a tattoo artist. Not at all. He used that for the glory of Christ. Now him and I, we worship the same Jesus. And, and I didn't stop being a baseball coach when I came to Christ. No, I used it for the glory of Christ. God uses the paths that we're on for His glory. He changes our perspective. He changes the journey, our purpose as we're on it. Look at Zacchaeus. I mean, this wee little man was a lying, cheating scoundrel, but yet nobody expected him to stop collecting taxes. They wanted him to do it fairly. Imagine the ministry when Zacchaeus starts to collect taxes fairly in the name of Jesus in this glory. What a powerful statement. 
And I challenge us to look at the path that God has us on, but to see that He has changed the way we look at it, the perspective that we have, the purpose in it. You see, Jesus is the focus. And Paul, he still went to Damascus, but he has this this different look on life. We see this change as Paul goes from somebody who wants to destroy the way to somebody that speaks powerful about the way. Acts 19, 8-10. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. And he took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. Paul, he's proclaiming the way, not destroying it. And Christianity is exclusive in that there is one way, but it is inclusive that all are welcome, but they have to be willing to see Jesus as the way. I talked about it a lot last week. We really want what Jesus provides, but we don't like what He changes. You see, we cannot follow the way if we do not acknowledge Jesus as the truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. Now there's a, not a lot of ways to interpret this, but we often try. Not just in, in Christianity, but other faiths. Especially the Baha'i faith. Did you know that they have thousands of books articulating every conundrum that comes up? Now, it is very difficult when you're trying to make Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Judaism and Christianity and every faith that believes in a God work together. But that's what they do. And you see, as humans, we have this innate desire to want cohesion. And lies, they are contradictions. Truth is cohesion. You see, when I first came to Jesus, I really wanted a powerful testimony. Now, it was powerful, but I really tried to make it just a little bit more powerful. Now, I went to school. I went to school at Colby Community College to be a sports broadcaster. And after two years, I stopped being a sports broadcaster because I was terrible at speaking. I was constantly pronouncing the wrong words. I'd say words like Derek Jeter. Instead of that, I would say Jarek Dieter, you know, things like that. I would get confused. And so time went on, and I couldn't speak. I was afraid to speak in front of people. But I started talking about how God prepared the way. And I got a degree. My bachelor's degree is in graphic design. And so when I came back, EWC hired me to be an adjunct professor at the college. And I would always tell the story about how my first time I walked in, and there was five people sitting there. And I got so nervous that I walked out, I went to the bathroom, and I threw up. The problem was I didn't actually throw up. And I would tell people that story and that lie would just eat at me and eat at me. And now this isn't the first time I came clean with that, but as soon as I did, it released that. And now I could live in this truth and this truth is beautiful and the lies, they cause all this contradiction and this this struggles within us. And my story was still powerful, but I didn't have to live a lie. You see, telling the truth is so important. But following the truth is more important. And we need a basic understanding of who Jesus is. That is who we are really worshiping. A few years back in 2012, I I love Notre Dame. I know some of you know that, but not all of you. 
There's a guy by the name of Manti Teo. He was my favorite player. I love this guy. He hit so hard, but he had a great heart. And during that season, he got catfished. And I don't know if you know what that means, but it means that a guy was pretending to be a female and made Manti Teo basically fall in love with him. He, he preyed on Manti Teo's heart. Now, there's a documentary you should watch and everything. But what I want you to think about was, was Manti Teo really in love with that woman or was it a representation that that man was trying to put out? A right understanding of who Jesus is is incredibly important. In many faiths, they have an idea that there is a God, but not all faiths have a right understanding of who God is. And God gave us His Word. And not only that, He writes it on our heart. Romans 2.15 says this, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them. You see, God's law is written on our hearts. There was a study that was done at Yale not too long ago, and Yale is hardly a Jesus organization now. And while they were doing this study, they took six-month or younger babies, pre-vocal babies, and they did this experiment with puppets. And they put three puppets up, and one of the puppets was the one that was being helped, and then there was another puppet that was helping the puppet, and then there was another puppet that was hurting the puppet. And after the, the skit was over, they would take the puppets and almost every single time, over 80% of the time, this young child who has no understanding of moral values would choose the puppet that helped the other one. Amazing how God's law is written on our hearts. God's truth is in us. It's not developed by us. But God has given us it. He's given us His Word, and His Word is truth. And as we look at it, this, this Word that we have makes sense more than any other religion that we look at. Guys, there are so many other religions because we want to make God work for us instead of seeking the truth that God has provided for us. In truth, it brings life, and Jesus is life. He is the way and the truth and the life. We have an inward desire for eternal life. Death is fearful and, and scary, but in most people, life is the opposite. We have this desire for purpose and life, and Jesus is the purpose. In the Bible, it gives the clearest and most cohesive truth for everything that we see. It answers the question, why are we here? Why is there sin? What is God like and it also gives us the clearest example of the solution and the problem that exists. We are dead and God provided life. Basically, God is sinless and His perfect holiness cannot be in the presence of sin. And He provides the solution in Himself because He is the only solution. He is the only one that can get the glory. Jesus. Jesus, His Son, died on the cross for us. You see, basically, God is sinless, and yet we were black hearted, wretched sinners, and God provides the solution. It's the only way it works. And most of us, we understand that we cannot do it on our own, most of us, besides maybe Oprah Winfrey. Do you know she made a statement in an article in the AARP? She was asked this question. Some people question whether you can be a Christian and also embrace the so-called New Age philosophies. How do you respond to that? This is what she said. 
I love the church. I love what the church offers to us as a culture. Black people in particular. We would be nowhere without the church. But for me to live in a world that is not inclusive of other people who are not Christian would be the opposite of Christianity. Now, I can agree with that statement, but she goes on. She says this, I can't define God, so to be open to the mystical and the mystery of God is a natural part of myself. So people criticize me for not being what they are, and I say it's working for me, and has worked for me, and continues to work for me, in a way that fills me with a sense of peace and contentment about what God means to me. Guys, now I'm not an Oprah hater. Now I respect her. But what she's saying does not work in cohesion with what it's saying in John 14, 6. And I get it. Christianity is inclusive in that everyone can come. But if that inclusivity does not include Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, then God would be cruel and He would be evil. Let me explain. I heard a story the other day about a switchman. And he was working at the railroad and he, saw, he sees two trains coming together and they're going to they're gonna meet on this same track. And that same day, he'd taken his seven-year-old boy to work. And he looks out and he sees his boy out there playing. He knows if he changes this track that his boy is going to be crushed. And at the last second, he switches the track, saving the people on the train but crushing his son. Now you would say that this man made the ultimate sacrifice. A sacrifice that many of you, including me, would never have made. But what if he switched the track to kill his son when the people would have lived anyways? You would call him a murderer. You see, he would have murdered his son, not sacrificed him. And that's what happened. If Jesus is not the payment for our sin, then God killed him for no reason. Therefore, his character must be called into question and he must be deemed faulty. And that is not the God that we worship. Now, I think being inclusive is important, but not without truth. We must speak truth. Is it really inclusive and loving if we know somebody is going to die and yet we say nothing? I think not. I would say that's the exact opposite of loving. Which takes us to the end of 14.6 where it says, no one comes to the Father except through Me. So let's spend the next few moments looking at why other religions cannot lead to the same God. Most religions believe that hard work and discipline can lead to ultimate fulfillment. Now when you live your life, you would disagree with that. Right? Trial and error would tell us different And as I look at this information, I want you to know I got it from gotquestions.org. And the first one I want to talk about is atheism. Atheism is this belief that there is no God or that some type of quantum mechanics and scientific method brings about life. You know, basically stuff that makes our head explode. And they'd say that they don't have a faith. But I would say to believe that something came from nothing is way more faith than I have. And what about Buddhism? You see, they want to reach nirvana by escaping the suffering of the world and having oneness with the universe. They think they can work toward extinguishing these three areas in their life. Passion, hatred, and ignorance. Which we could argue would be similar to Christianity in some ways, but it's not. You see, Buddhism, they do not see sin as a violation of a divine moral code. Rather, it it recommends the elimination of all desire. Do you hear that? The elimination of all desire. That is not Christianity, although sometimes we try to make it that way. 
Think about this. I know that John and Peter and Paul, they had this desire, this overwhelming desire for Jesus, and they encouraged it throughout their letters. The same type of desire that that David had in the Old Testament when he writes the Psalms. Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. This desire for Him. And what about Hinduism? Now Hinduism is often associated with having millions of gods, but they do have one supreme being, Brahma. And Brahma, He exists everywhere. He is the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. I mean, this could sound in some ways like our God, but it really is a lot different. You see, they believe that He is the only thing that exists and you are continually reincarnated until you come to the terms with that truth. Brahma is an impersonable and unknowable God, but we, we worship a God that is very much knowable, very much personable. Hinduism has multiple sets of scriptures, but the Bible, the Bible is one set of scripture which teaches that yes, God created everything. But in that, God created us. And we have existence. The Bible teaches that we are made in the image of God, but that we are not divine. And that salvation is not of our own enlightenment, but the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I can buy into that. You see, Islam, we might look at that and see and compare it to Christianity. And there are some similarities, but there are a significant amount of differences. Like Christianity, Islam is monotheistic. However, Muslims reject the Trinity. That God revealed Himself as one in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Muslims claim that Jesus was one of the most important prophets, but not God's Son. Islam asserts that Jesus, being born of a virgin, was, was created more like Adam. Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. They don't understand why Allah would allow His prophet, Isa, that's what they pronounce Jesus as, to die a torturous death. Yet the Bible, the Bible, it shows how the death of His perfect Son was essential to pay for our sins, all the sins of the world. If we keep looking at it, Islam teaches that the Quran is the final authority, last revealed by Allah. The Bible, however, was completed in the first century with the book of Revelation, which is very clear that we are not to add or to subtract anything from it. Muslims go on. They believe that we get into heaven or to to paradise by holding on to these five pillars. One, to testify to Allah. Two, to pray five times a day. Three, to give a certain percentage every year. Four, to fast during Ramadan. And five, to pilgrims to Mecca. The Bible. The Bible, in contrast, reveals that a sinful man can never measure up to God's holiness. By God's grace, we as sinners were saved by grace by Jesus. And we have faith in Him for it. And then Judaism, right? You might look at Judaism and say, surely this is the same God. I mean, Paul even considered himself to be Jewish. Philippians 3, 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Paul, he sees Jesus as the continuation of his Judaism. But here's the problem. When Judaism failed to recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of their faith, when Judaism failed to see the Trinity, they failed to surrender to the same God that we worship. If God does not include Jesus, then He is not God according to Christianity. Christianity. 
So what does this tell us? As we look at this, we can never be saved on our own merit. I mean, when you look at your life, you know that you can do nothing to be saved. You know that there's an inward black-heartedness in you, that you needed somebody else, and that somebody else was God, who is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And He came down and was the one that did the work. And as I look at you, I could tell you all religions could be wrong. But only one religion could be right. They do not leave it open for them all to be right. And I can tell you that Jesus claimed to be the right one. He claimed to be the I Am. And eventually you have to surrender to it. Now you can surrender to other religions, but I can promise you that they will not satisfy. But I can promise you that Jesus, the I Am, will satisfy And Jesus, he claimed to be that I am. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He said, I am the living water, I am the bread of life, I am the light of this world, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the true vine. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And when they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane, they asked him if he was Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am. You see, Buddha did not claim to be God. There is no founder of Hinduism. Muhammad did not claim to be God. Moses did not claim to be God. Even the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't claim Jesus to be God. The Mormons think Jesus was a God, not the God. Only Christianity, only Jesus said, I am. Only Christianity rests on that statement. And if Jesus is claimed to be a liar, then all of it is for nothing. Jesus said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth. And he said, I am the life. And he said that no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the way. I thank you that you are the truth and the life. I thank you so much. Jesus, I love you. I love you. And you claim to be God and I believe it. And I will continue to believe it and I will continue to proclaim it, to proclaim the way because that is your way. And I know that there is a God and that you are it and that we have a truth and that because of that we have life. Lord, help us to hold on to you. Help us to speak boldly in your name. Help us to care deeply about who you are and let that passion and that desire come out day in and day out. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.